Um, but when I was taken out to the Morans um, in February of this year, we had an exchange. Their family legend was that when Mustafa returned home for land and to get his mother, his father had refused him land and his mother, which is probably true. What they didn't know is that his brother had sold him for a dollar 10 acres of land, right? So the family legend is he squatted on the land, and that's why it was eventually taken away. It's eventually taken away in the 20th century, but it has nothing to do with squatting. So I was able to say to them, well, actually, here's the original deed. He didn't squat on the land. He purchased it, and he purchased it from his brother. And by the way, do you have his Civil War pension record? And so in exchange, they gave me a copy of the video. That was a clip of Alison Dorsey reading from her paper, The Legend of Mustafa Shah, Slave, Soldier, and Rebel. Dorsey was also featured in episode six of the Hulu docuseries, The 1619 Project, talking about Mustafa Shaw. Terry and I talk about Mustafa Shaw, his legacy, and some of the lessons we can learn today from the spirit of his defiance. Oh, Well, thank you for that. Um, I think we're going to take this point to transition to Mustafa Shaw. Okay. um, Because he was also spoken about in this episode. Um, And folks who gave me some feedback on the first season of Curious Roots really, of course, wanted to know about Mustafa Shaw, know more about him, because he's quite cinematic. He's a superhero. (laughs) Right, right. I know in the episode, Nicole Hannah-Jones talks to Alison Dorsey, who's basically like the foremost um, scholar out in public about Mustafa Shaw. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit about him. And I think what I'm really curious about him and people's fascination with him and from your work, you know, uh, with Musa- researching him and researching um, the history around him, what is it that we can learn from his life and apply to now? Because I, I know that we talked about um, this spirit that we have and even in the episode they talk about the spirit of Mustafa Shaw is clearly in his descendants um but what in that spirit do you think you know from your what you know about him from your work can we kind of apply to this moment wow um there's a lot to unpack there uh, first of all i I had been researching Mustafa Shaw for many, many, many years and uh, was intrigued when I ran across his name because I could discern that it was an African name at that point, which you didn't have a lot of people. I mean, everybody was naming their children by traditional European names and then see Mustafa. And then uh, when you go to the records too, it does change. You see Stafford, which is also taken off of Mustafa. But um, 
so immediately I was drawn to this, this, this figure. Um, what I didn't know was uh, the details uh, uh, that were contained in the pension. And that's the work that Dr. Uh, Allison Dorsey ran across, um, his military pension records and, and the early deeds. And I happened to be attending an, a, a symposium back in 2007, I believe. And I'm sitting there with my cousin as she is presenting this and we're looking at each other and I'm like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, this is, this is our cousin. You know, this right. is, this, they're talking about our cousin and she's revealing, I'm, I already knew that particular branch of the family for one is very, uh, very determined, uh, very vigilant, um, just really strong qualities. Um, uh, they are the, the, you know, we would say the rebels in the family because they would always, you know, push against any type of, of barriers. And it all clicked for me. I knew where this came from. There's this sense of identity, this sense of connectedness to the land, this sense of, of you know, not taking anything off of, of anybody, you know, just pushing right. back, standing up, you know, uh, for their own rights. And, and, and I think that is the great lesson that we get in reading about his, his journey. Um, what I did learn at the symposium, um, one of the details that stood out for me, because I can almost envisioned this as she was talking about it but she started describing this man which she was shocked because in her man in her mind prior to finding these documents she was thinking of this man that was kind of like an african man, uh, warrior a mandinka you know that's say six five six three and she was surprised to see this little wiry mulatto man blondish you know uh, light colored hair gray eyes sandy uh, and uh, i knew that to conform with you know, this side of the family and the cousins that I knew physically, that was no surprise whatsoever. But the strength that he would exude, you know, it's like the size didn't matter. You know, he, he had uh, work to do and he, he's putting this bull knife, this, bow, this bowie knife uh, into his, you know, between his teeth. And he's using the pistol that he mustered out of the USCT with the United States Colored Troops. Um, he's using this pistol and he is going down in a blaze of bullets. He's like, I'm, you know, basically from uh, the way the pension relates it, uh, the U.S. government at this point had rescinded uh, Field Order 15, and they were removing uh, the former bondsmen that had been given title legally, you know, to, to their properties and uh, had raised crops at this point. And this um, was on Osabaugh Island, on, correct? On Osabaugh. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And they had come in with appointees to remove him. And he just was not having it. This was, this was not today. So, again, the image of this little wiry man throwing this, this knife between his teeth and pulling out his gun and going down in a blaze of bullets, shooting his way off of the island with his two cousins, Robert Delegall and Lee Delegall and uh, Paulo Brown, um, I haven't established the, the connection to him, but I'm certain he'll be tied up in the hard lines in some way. But the, you know, these men, you know, expressing no fear and standing up for their most basic rights, you know, this the right to own this property. And and 
holding the government accountable. That's that's the, the big lesson here, holding the, the government accountable, um, or at least attempting to, because they didn't take it on the chin. And that is counter to a lot of the rhetoric that we've been fed over the years. Whenever we, we talk about enslavement, whenever we talk about the uh, the period after, uh, during Reconstruction, uh, even during the 30s, we're always told how docile African Americans were, how we were subjected to all of these horrors and we somehow, you know, took it on the chin without question. And then you've got this man here just like, no, not having it, you know, and, right. and that, you know, that is what pulled me, pulled me in. And then to see him not only make it off of Osaba, but we find him years later at Nephew's Hammock where he's purchased property. He then goes ahead and buys, uh, I think about 20 more acres, I believe from the former planter, Charles Spalding. And he raises this, this family of his. And um, from what I understood, when people would describe the properties out there, you know, it is, it is their definition of abundance. They were fed well. They lived well. They, they planted, you know, all sorts of, of trees uh, that were, you know, great food. They, they, they lived off of the land. You know, they hunted. They uh, fished. They were shrimpers. Uh, and, and they prospered. And here we see this man live his life basically raises three sets of children because he ended up with three wives. Um, so he raises his children and he leaves them comfortably when he passes away around the turn of the century. He, he leaves an estate and an estate that has to be legally divided. And um, that for me was awesome. That for me was inspiring. Yeah, I I love the story of Mustafa Shaw and I love um how it kind of surprisingly intersected with the story of my family and my third great grandfather, Lester Grant. And he was among the folks who helped Lester and Elizabeth move back to Harrisek off of St. Catharines. Um, right after the Civil War. And the other piece um, from the episode of 1619 Project, um, they talked about how the men who went to fight uh, in the Civil War, the formerly enslaved folks who went to fight in the Civil War, um, would leave in groups. And I like to imagine that, you know, Mustafa and Lester and who knows how many of my other relatives, they went off to the 33rd in a group. And I think that that has some truth to it because you see in the pension records that you shared with me so generously that they were always around helping one another. Yes. And I think that's the thing that I got as well. It's just like a sense of like, we have got to do this together. We have got to help each other. We have got to be there for each other. Um, I'm sure they didn't all get along. I'm sure they didn't all, it wasn't all love and light and roses. And especially when you consider um, how much, uh, you know, how many wives he had. (laughs) Some folks, you know, they liked the ladies and 
Well, well, legitimately, they did pass. They they did pass. So he was just one of those uh, men, you know, that that outlived them, you know. But uh, they, you know, Tomber was the first wife, and and she died young. Uh, Basically, Marianne, the second one, would pick up, and then we would have uh, the last one, Florina. And, uh, you know, and then she was... I know a lot of them uh, made reference to her age because she was the young woman, but um, she uh, she was fortunate to him, you know, cross paths with Boris Child, and uh, it's, it's a really interesting period after that because there were some issues in, in terms of dividing the state. But again, you know, you said we're family now; everything's all roses, even among family members. So, right, right. But I think the ability for everybody to kind of just understand this larger thing that was happening and just the sense of community which was also cultural for sure um and then just i feel like that sense of like stubbornness and the sense of you know to quote the old negro spiritual knucketh if you bucketh (laughs) (laughs) i never heard that one i love that one (laughs) Yeah, I feel like he embodies that. He embodies that culture of, you know, don't start none, won't be none. <laughs> exactly. And and I think that's why his story is just so intriguing and definitely inspirational. Um, it's, a, it's a spirit, again, that I said I recognize in the cousins or descendants from that line. I, I see it in them all the time. They're fighters. And, 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 and for the most part, most of them are very successful. Uh, they they really did that that spirit was passed down, and um, I I do like to look at Mustafa as reflecting the spirit of that community because I see it in, in other families as well. I think that's another reason why when Harris Neck uh, happened the way that it did, it wasn't again a sense of just going down and taking it off the chin. They couldn't. They, they it's in their DNA. It's definitely in their DNA. Yeah, and I I. I also observe this sense of um, forethought, like the forethought that he had to purchase the land. He doesn't seem like he was a reactive person. It seems like he was very circumspect and he, you know, planned ahead and he wasn't reacting. And I would like to think we could take a lesson in that sense of like um, thinking toward not only the distant future, but the immediate future. Cause I think he did have the next generations in mind, obviously. He had his eye on the pie basically. Yeah. And um, he wanted exactly what he had observed as an enslaved person. He understood the value of property and ownership. He understood that ownership would uh, ensure his uh, family stability, uh, wealth. Um, and he pursued it actively. Again, you know, he could have settled at nephew's uh, nephew's uh, uh, point. Now I'm confusing the name actually because there's so many different areas. But at, um, he could have remained at that that place and not dreamt anymore. But instead, when the opportunity to purchase from Charles Spalding came up, he acquires 20 more acres. And 20 acres is nothing to sneeze at. That's quite a bit of property, you know, for for that time and quite a bit. Uh, you know, for his descendants to reside on and thrive. So, yeah, he, he was definitely a visionary, 
definitely hardworking, definitely understood the values that, uh, again, make us Americans, you know, uh, you know, to the pursuit of happiness, basically, and, and to become landowners, to have something, to come here, to leave here with more than you came. So, yeah, so I, I think all of that, uh, I, I see all of that whenever I think about him and, and his journey. Yeah, I I love that. And I just love that also it wasn't just, you know, his family that benefited. The community grew out of, you know, what he was envisioning for his family. And like, you know, it was, again, the collective, the community. It wasn't just about, you know, oh, I'm going to just take this land for my people. And like, oh, so what if everybody else is starving? You know, it has no way. They were very collaborative. And I think, um, you know, part of it is the need too, because their communities have always been under siege. You look at that period immediately after uh, the war, Reconstruction. It's one of the most violent periods in U.S. history. Um, You have a a wealth of of, poverty, basically. everybody is in sad shape you know the the ex-confederates have lost everything they've owned you have very desperate you know people at this point and having the community come together would be the ultimate support and and shield against the 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 things the types of violence that were going on and and again we see this because we see this down the line when we look at say the Darien insurrection at the turn of the century we have a whole community that comes together to defend a man and to demand uh, a trial by his peers. So that's kind of, again, one of the takeaways I get when I look at this period, I look at the life that Mustafa led, I look at his peers, I look at his relatives, and um, I actually sense this still, you know, it still exists to this day, despite how, uh, you know, modern, distractions have, have come into our day-to-day. Uh, there is when when families get together and, and they have these reunions, they still are able to pull that sense of belonging, that sense of support and community together, despite all the craziness that we've all endured. Thank you so much for listening to the second installment of our bonus episode series. We love having the opportunity to speak with Terry and tapping into her research and her wisdom and her insight and um, just getting the perspective on many of the battles that communities are still fighting today in the coastal South And just connecting them to ongoing struggles that have been happening since most of our ancestors were forced to these shores. Um, I hope that you will follow Curious Roots on Instagram at Curious Roots Pod. We have a lot of updates over on Instagram about community efforts against greedy developers, um, community efforts to save historic buildings, um, just lots of information that we try to reshare 
coming out of the low country about what's going on. And, you know, we also share some uh, fun information as well, different events that are happening um, down in the low country and on the sea islands. Uh, I'm hoping to get back out there very, very soon um, so I can visit family and just kind of like, you know, take it all in and uh, say hello to the ancestors um, on that land. It's pretty powerful. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. And don't forget to check out our third and final bonus episode installment about the Tennessee legislature. So much has happened since Terry and I recorded that episode. Uh, But the roots for the anti-democratic machinations that you see in Tennessee are very much grounded in what happened during Reconstruction and specifically um, how things went down in the State House of Georgia and at the local level um, and the county level, rather, um, in McIntosh County. So check out episode three of our bonus series. And thanks for listening. Curious Roots is co-produced by Converge Collaborative, a BIPOC workers co-op and artist collective offering creative multimedia services to companies and organizations of all kinds. As artists and workers, our practice centers collaboration, solidarity, and equity. We weave together our expressive talents with our labor expertise and lived experiences to provide our partners with project support informed by the belief that work and labor are sites of creativity, learning, and imagination. This focus on collaborative imagination flows through every part of our partner process, from co-creating products, software, and websites, to audiovisual experiences and more. Curious Roots is co-produced by Converge Collaborative and Moonshadow Productions. Our theme music is courtesy of Makai Beats. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or however you listen to your podcast. Don't forget to check out CuriousRootsPod.com if you want to learn more about what you've heard. Big thank you to our producer, Pat McMahon. My deepest gratitude to Mr. Wilson Moran and to the community of Harris Neck. Big thank yous to Terry Ward and Adolphus Armstrong of Ujima Genealogy. And thank you to my relatives who are now with the ancestors, especially Miss Mary Moran and my grandmother, Margaret Baston White. Thank you all for listening to Curious Roots. <laughs>